Hello, and thank you for tuning into Conversing Crime, the security distillery podcast on organized crime. I'm Fabiana, and with Valentin, we are welcoming Anna Sergi, senior lecturer and associate professor of criminology at the University of Essex. She has a dual background combining law and sociology with a specialization in European criminal procedure. In her academic career, she mainly focused on mafia mobility, port security, and maritime crime within a policing perspective. In the last year or so, the pandemic has brought to the fore and highlighted to the public the pervasiveness of organized crime, for example through affairs of counterfeited medical supplies or money laundering opportunities. So generally, why do you think we should address organized crime and what impact does it have on societies? Okay, so let's start with saying that organized crime has been in the past years growing, um, well, attracting more attention um, than ever before. And this is for a number of reasons. A, there is a dimension of cross-border criminality with organized crime that is natural uh, and obviously comes with the territory of living in the Western society in a highly connected, globalized world. So as an effect of that uh, connectivity, we also see the increasing uh, connectivity within criminal networks and criminal um, activities more generally. So in that sense, organized crime has received way too much attention uh, compared to as before uh, because of the transnationality of its activities and, and actors. Um, on the other side, uh, most of the attention that has been paid to organized crime as a phenomenon, and by the way, organized crime is an umbrella phenomenon. It comprises many different things, uh, which we may discuss later if you want. Um, But uh, within organized crime, the only way in which uh, states and inter, inter, uh, interconnected networks of state have found to address organized crime has been within security networks. So clearly we are looking at um, a situation in which the states feel like organized crime is attacking the borders uh, for a number of different issues that have to do with the nature of um, this type of crimes. Uh, and therefore it has become uh, embedded within security studies, even though uh, it's harm, it's highly local. So on one side you have, it's a hybrid um, uh, threat in a way. On one side states um, securitize uh, organized crime for its, for, because its seriousness depends on its crossing borders. So the more you cross border, the more serious you get. But on the other side, the activities within organized crime are often not serious crimes. So it's really difficult to coordinate these two things. So on one side, you might have, for example, um, unorganized crime groups that uh, ships drugs all over Europe, right? So they, they cross borders, they, they commit uh, the crime of trafficking drugs, which is heavily uh, punished everywhere is easily. Um, but more importantly, it is a crime that uh, includes several different actors and, uh, and different sophisticated uh, levels. But clearly it does, um, it does so um, with the help of different, different people. With, um, together with that, the same group my operate extortion rackets uh, in a tiny village somewhere and extortion in itself however bad of a conduct it can be considered it is not necessarily a serious crime from the purposes of the law 
so both of these are the same, um, are two faces of the same medal in a way, sometimes literally the same faces of uh, the same group, two faces of the same group. Uh, but so it is, it is challenging to always think of organized crime as a, as a security threat because most of the time its most visible harm is at the local level. Uh, which could be true for many, for many other crime type as well. Uh, but we should consider that whenever we look at organized crime, it's somehow already too late. So the manifestations of organized crime are um, when the crime has already been uh, discovered in a way, it's already late um, to, to counter it. It means that the, it's already in motion. So certain things are already in motion. And most of the time, uh, what we can prevent um, is minor manifestations of organized crime. We can disrupt organized crime, but we cannot actually prevent it unless we invest in, in educational and clearly other types of civil engagement. Uh, so it's in that sense, again, uh, it does fit within the security threats because of that, because security threats are all about prevention, right, and disruption up to a certain extent. So it's an interesting uh, crime type, organized crime, for these reasons, and also because it, it grows exponentially. Uh, it changes as we speak. Um, it, it's never-ending in its metamorphosis. Um, so... Again, whenever, from a criminological perspective, whenever we do not know what a crime type will bring, we raise the risk alert. Uh, and whenever we, re we raise the risk alert, we tend to, again, respond through sec securitization. You mentioned securitization. Could you please expand on that? So depending on which country you're from, you'll see within your criminal code, um, that organized crime features within certain rubrics, right? So you have in Italy, for example, in organized crime, mafia type, whichever organized crime type is within public order. So it's a crime against public order. In the UK uh, and in most of the Anglo-Saxon countries, um, organized crime is a crime against the economic well-being of the country, meaning uh, competition laws. Um, because it creates illegal markets, right? So it's a crime against the economy or it's a crime against national security. Um, this kind of changes things. The way you see uh, a crime in a way changes the response to the crime. So obviously in the, on the Italian sense, um, organized crime is a crime against public order, which means you, you sort of approach it within um, those frameworks, uh, including the type of police that handles that, the type of investigations that handle that, and everything around it. With organized crime as a national security threat, you bring in the big dogs, and the big dogs are usually security agencies which have very little public accountability because they operate within a security network. So it kind of changes the way you see, the, the, you see things. So, to come back on something you mentioned earlier, apparently public policies can disrupt but hardly prevent organized crime. What could be done differently to prevent it? Well, we can prevent it in a way, but we don't actually... So, we did, when we try and prevent organized crime, it's like we don't see the effect of the prevent. Uh, so, in a way, when you, you, you prevent terrorism, right? You prevent radicalization, you prevent the actual um, formation of certain networks. With uh, organized crime, it's a little bit more complicated than that because the embeddedness of certain networks within certain societies is much higher. 
uh, and it is in, entangled with um, economy and the legal economy especially and it, it's not quite uh, so separated most of the time as it might be in some, in some of the terrorist cases. So you can disrupt organized crime, most organized crimes, plural. So meaning that anything that has to do with trafficking is usually approached by a policy from a policing perspective uh, or a security perspective through disruption. So you intercept uh, shipping of cocaine that has departed from the port of Buenaventura in Colombia and goes all the way to, I don't know, some port in um, Spain, to Valencia. And in the meanwhile, you stop it halfway. So, or you stop at the moment uh, you, the, the ship, shipment arrives in Valencia. So that's disruption and it's usually done, done through intelligence. Uh, intelligence-led policing. Prevention, however, requires uh, social investments and social investments, no country at this stage has the political capacity to think long-term, no country. I mean, we are currently, well, apart from the pandemic, which actually requires short-term answers to all the problems, many of the political, um, let's say, government, many, many of the governments, many of the political parties that you have today ruling the brilliant Western world are at the most um, looking at the medium term results. Everyone wants very quick results that they can show off and kind of claim on their own. So the long-term planning that organized crime requires, the prevention of organized crime requires, are the same that any crime prevention requires. So it means investing in the new generations, it means investing in education, it means investing in offering alternatives, it means investing obviously in employment, investing in um, um, unwillingness to acknowledge certain shortcomings of our globalization processes. Is the, the more we keep saying that certain things are forbidden and certain things are um, prohibited, such as certain types of drugs, the more we're going to have drug trafficking. It's just as simple as that. And it's not a moral judgment. I mean, you can be morally against drugs as much as you want, but it is a fact that when something is illegal, there is going to be an illegal market. So we are always going to play catch up. And for sometimes, for obvious reasons, we want uh, weapons, for example, to be um, prohibited, but weapon trafficking is always going to exist. Same thing, we want cocaine to be prohibited, fine, whatever you want, but then you're going to have to deal with cocaine trafficking. So that's, that's what I mean. So for the time that we have uh, in terms of our political agendas at this stage, the best we can do is to invest in disruption and some uh, initial thoughts are given obviously to certain types of organized crime behaviors. And by behaviors, I mean obviously intergenerational um, crime, how can I put it, career criminals um, that organized crime naturally produces. Organized crime is a type of professional crime. So it's very, it's very likely, not always, but very likely that um, families of organized crime will succeed one another. So intergenerational relations on one side. There is the corruption side of organized crime, which is usually what most uh, countries will invest in to try and stop this, um, at least this side, the entry in the legal economy. Um, there are financial um, provisions that obviously states are very willing to put in place for prevention of organized crime reinvestments. Um, but then again, the social causes of organized crime, <laughs> that's a lost battle. 
You already started touching upon the difference between transnational and serious organized crime. Given the variety of terms used to describe organized crime, could you walk us through the different notions? It depends who you ask, in a way. So if you, and obviously as uh, researchers or at least as academics uh, or even just students and scholars, um, depends on the audience. So from the side of um, legal policy makers uh, kind of language, Mm, the terminology that is currently used uh, swings between transnational organized crime, serious organized crime. Serious organized crime is a funny one um, because it kind of means transnational organized crime, but with it, without the transnational kind of thing. So serious organized crime is essentially what happens when you securitize organized crime. You make it serious mm -hmm. enough so that it can go up with the big ones, right? So, so that's, that's the seriousness of organized crime, which essentially means organized crime is sophisticated. So because it's sophisticated, it has to be serious in a way. That's kind of um, the, the, the just exposition of the discourse here. And that's one thing. On the other thing, uh, on the other side, uh, you have the legal differentiation. And here, this is where you find the differences between mafia type and uh, or other organized crime which eventually has become a sociological, criminological definition as well. So organized crime is any group that um, works in a network where there is specialization of labor uh, for the purpose of committing crimes over a period of time that usually um, exist beyond the commission of one crime only. So technically speaking, if you are three, four more people uh, committing a, a one crime um, only, but this crime extends over a period of time, that is, all, that is already organized crime. But chances are that organized crime groups will uh, stay in business together because uh, obviously it costs money and time and resources to start the business in a way. So from an economic perspective, you don't want to invest in starting a criminal business and then just let it go after two months. So you'll tend to be in business for a longer time until you are caught usually. Uh, some organized crime type of a lower level are uh, monocrime, so they tend to specialize in one crime type only. This is usually the case of traffickers, uh, whether human traffickers, drug traffickers, because it, there is a specialism in the commodity that each um, network has to develop. So you, it's not like you can go from drug trafficking to human trafficking as it is. You each, each crime type has its own specialism. So you specialize in cocaine, you might move to another drug, but not to another commodity altogether. It's not the same roots, it's not the same business. So these are the more general ones. These are what uh, authorities call loose networks, whereby there is a very, very small core uh, of two, three, four, five people, and then everyone around is kind of disposable uh, in and out of the network, doesn't quite necessarily fit in uh, a group organization. Then there are the mafia structures, and mafia structures are more resilient uh, normally and of these type of loser networks are polycrime. By definition, they are polycrime in the sense that they have to have, um, they tend to have, and they have to have at this stage to be defined as such, uh, a purely illegal and a purely legal face. So mafia power, um, sorry, mafia groups are characterized by power, 
rather than profit. So organized crime uh, groups are essentially out there to make money, to make big money usually. Mafia groups are out there to make money, of course, because they are organized crime group, but they also choose to make money through power. And power means political power, it means administrative power, it means local power, economic power, any type of power. We can have a discussion forever on how many different types of powers we can have. But it's the idea that having um, a hold on something means profit in the long term. So that's why they are more resilient. There is a planning involved which kind of stays, uh, in includes investment as well. So it's not just, uh, grabbing things it's also about investing in social relations investing in political corruption it, it means investing in the legal economy so that at some point there will be a turnover of profit whether it's legal or illegal it doesn't matter so mafia power mafia structures are are all of all of that organized crime structures are plus some extra complications but even in that case you can have the core of the mafia clan doing pretty much all of what i said and then many other satellite groups around it because obviously if a mafia clan is investing at the same time in drug trade so they are experts in cocaine but at the same time they're also investing in i don't know um let's let's say um, counterfeit, well, they have a company of counterfeit medicines that they ship in Turkey, okay, then it's not like the same people can do both. So you have to have spin-offs of the same clan doing different things. So that's, so in that sense, it increases sophistication uh, of the group. So that's from a, let's say, very, <laughs> very broad perspective. Yeah. And obviously, uh, by the way, mafias are not just, I'm talking about all mafias, not just Italian mafias, clearly. So it's uh, any group that expresses this willingness to power uh, could be qualified uh, mafia group or whichever ethnicity. Ethnicity is something that we attached later on to the concept of organized crime. It's not in, embedded in the organized crime concept. Talking about resilience, we already identified criminal activities and power building as key bases of the resilience of mafias. Are there more factors to consider? Yes, because obviously with um, organized crime groups, uh, you have uh, most of the time, not always, um, but because they are commodity dependent, if they are, let's say, a typical organized crime group that they are commodity dependent, um, their investment in territories and power might not be meaningful at all. So you might be doing drug trade from Colombia, from Mexico, within Mexico, wherever you are, um, by not necessarily engaging with the territory you are um, doing this business with. Mafia groups cannot not engage with the territory when they are obviously at their full power. Uh, they have to invest in social relations, they have to invest in political relations and economic relations because those are the relations that will protect them uh, from, they will give them political immunity or legal immunity or through, whether it's by, through corruption or through the so-called instrumental friendships, mafia power is shielded, so creates shields around them 
uh, that will eventually come back to fruition whenever the mafia group needs them. So in that sense, it's resilient because it kind of um, creates an aura of untouchability whenever the mafia group is successful. Obviously, not every mafia group is successful, even if they wish to be. Um, that eventually will make, uh, make it possible, for example, to be um, uh, arrested, for example, in the whole family might be arrested, but that doesn't mean that the group uh, doesn't survive. It will survive and it will survive because it has a number of um, things in place that will ensure that the power is not lost um, just because for five years the group is dormant. So, and there is an echo of mafia power that is usually quite long term which is not the case when you dismantle any other organized crime group especially drug traffickers it's a, it's a completely different perspective and this is also the reason why drug traffickers are many more so you have you take one down you have another one the day after doing the same thing just with different people with mafia groups is not quite the same you have very long-term mafia groups um, however much you want to disempower them, um, not necessarily successfully so. So is it possible to dismantle mafias? It is. Uh, I mean, it is possible to uh, weaken them. So to sort of restrict their power to certain controllable industries uh, and not just let them go free range, which is the case of the United States with most of the Italian mafia, Italian American, whatever it was, uh, mafia groups. Um, which have considerably lost their power compared to New York 1970s, 80s. Similarly, with a certain clans of the Italian um, Sicilian mafia in Sicily, which have been heavily uh, invested by law enforcement activities in the 90s and therefore have lost most of their power. Their power is still standing, but it's very local and extremely... Um, how can I put it, reduced to certain uh, local and not so lucrative industries. But the, even then, uh, this is bound to change periodically because the more you don't look at a phenomenon, the more the phenomenon goes up, goes back up again, which is the case of certain clans in New York, for example, which have resumed their activities happily um, recently, Italian-American mafia clans, same things with some Sicilian clans, which everyone thought they were defunct and dead, and there they, they go again. That's because of what I said before, there is an echo to mafia power that stays, sticks to community. So even if they are dormant, even if they are kind of like quiescent, even if they've been severely maimed, their reputation, their mark remains on the society that has bored them. So it's a, it's a very metaphysical kind of, <laughs> I don't know, lingering that you have. So you can reduce power, but as far as I am concerned, but then again, it could be just me being pessimistic again, uh, I haven't seen mafia power ever being defeated. Not defeated, reduced, yes, but historically speaking, since what we talk about is, we talk about it as mafia. So since we have the label, I haven't seen any real, you know. And whenever you see that, so mafia clan that disappears, it wasn't a mafia clan, as in it wasn't a real one in that sense. The topic of mafia communities brings us to your research area, which is mafia mobility. 
So if Maria is not bound to a territory, could you tell us more about the exportation process? Again, it depends what you look at. So if you look at organized crime as a series of activities, um, it's a never-ending uh, investment. So you can go from drugs to weapons to organs to chi children to human beings more generally, um, exploitation of whichever type, um, extortion in terms of long-term and planned, um, investing in all sorts of new technologies, new sorts of anything that has anything can fall into the organized crime activity and most of the things that fall into the organized crime activities that are um, let's say of notice uh, are could be cross-border so in that sense organized crime activities are um, almost naturally cross-border like anything else we do is in life even if we don't realize it it's we do all sorts of cross-border things um, in, in the way what we buy and what we move and what we think and how we travel. So there could be just a simple thing as, um, I don't know, counterfeiting, invested in counterfeited materials. My counterfeit material is cheaper if I buy it in France. So I'll do that and then export it to Italy and do that from Italy. So clearly that all the things that we are used to do in our normal life, organized crime, does it in a criminal sense. So in that sense, it's natural, um, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever. It, it's easier to understand it that way. The same goes for the way we, we are using technology these days. Mm, whenever you listen to oh, organized crime are going cyber, they're not going cyber, they're using WhatsApp because it's normal to use WhatsApp. But that includes having um, friends and instrumental friends all over the world. So it might include getting in touch with someone uh, who has a friend somewhere who can give you some cheaper stuff than you were used to. So all these things keep happening. And in that sense, organized crime is naturally, as I said, as anything else in life, in the economy that we have today, uh, globalized. A different thing is the exportation of criminal organization, because obviously that requires um, movement of a social nature. And that is less obvious. It's the most obvious thing that can happen and the most frequent things that can happen um, has to do with the exportation of activities of a criminal organization. So in this, in the sen in this sense, um, Italian mafia, the, the Calabrian Drangheta, is the best example. Whenever they say they are present uh, in pretty much all the European countries um, and America and uh, Canada and uh, United States, Australia, wherever, Latin American, they are not actually present there, their activities are. Because of these reasons, obviously, if you're sourcing cocaine, you can't source co cocaine from Calabria. You have to deal with it in the normal way that everyone deals cocaine. Um, so most of the time, it's not the exportation of the group uh, that we see, but it's the, 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 some branches, some element of their activities. And in the case of uh, sophisticated organized crime groups, this is naturally occurring with trafficking types of crime and laundering investments uh, or financial money laundering more generally. So investments in real estate, investments in um, um, banking products, anything that you, you might have read or seen that happens depending on who you are, you might have a greater knowledge of certain system and therefore invest there. So clearly, if you are knowledgeable about banking systems and you know that the confidentiality level of Switzerland are particularly high, you will invest in Switzerland. But that's, that doesn't mean that you are exporting your criminal organization in Switzerland. You're just investing there. 
the exportation of the of mafia types and other types of organized crime groups is usually way less sexy than we think um, in the sense that most of the time it happens that you have one or two individuals who for whatever random reason mostly opportunity linked uh, based move abroad and that they bring with them or they try and do from abroad some things that the clan wants them to do so you there was a case of a camorra boss uh, sorry a camorra boss a camorra person affiliate who was afraid of uh, law enforcement in italy um, they fell in love with a scottish girl moved to scotland that's not mobility of criminal groups that's just this random guy who moved to scotland but then in scotland they kept in contact with some of his Camorra friends uh, and invested some of their money into Scotland. But there was one individual. So in that sense, you create these one-to-one connections, which is the most common thing. You have one clan, few people in one country, few people in another country linked to that clan, some low-level investments. Another thing, but this is, I've only seen it in the US with Cosa Nostra at the time, um, with Ndrangheta in Canada, currently New York and Australia, where you have several of these clans um, moving from Calabria to certain areas of these countries elsewhere. So they recreate their own connection elsewhere. So in the same way they were connected in Calabria, they tend to reconnect elsewhere because there are more than one. It's not just one family doing one thing. So they recreate certain types of procedures to cooperate abroad. Um, and this is usually the case with, um, again, with the Calabrian Mafia, which is currently um, the one that does so most successfully. Albanian clans, for example, Western Balkan clans are mostly linked in through individuals. They don't have any, at least not so far, as research has shown, any clear uh, coordination when they move abroad. Same thing with um, certain Japanese groups. Chinese groups, especially the triads, might have some of that coordination. But again, this is usually small scale and kind of like hotspots here and there. To conclude, what trends can we expect in the near future with regards to organized crime? What is going to happen next with organized crime very much depends on Brexit. Uh, so the Brexit drama um, that obviously we have a lot of problems at this stage in life. Um, and clearly with COVID, people tend to, for, well, they have tried to forget about Brexit, but <laughs> you can't really forget about it. Uh, and there has been some very interesting um, uh, things said around organized crime and Brexit. And I think that's where most of the European, re for example, from Brexit will depend a lot of the routing of drugs. Cocaine will change uh, the ways in which cocaine arrive into Europe because of Brexit. Uh, there will be this huge block, uh, which normally is a huge receiver of drugs uh, that will come out of the common um, trade. So that's going to be an interesting thing. Um, it's going to affect things that people normally don't think about, such as the functioning of ports. Uh, and the functioning of airports in terms of, you know, criminal assets. Um, the rise of uh, certain hybrids, again, between corporate crime, wet collar crime and organized crime is going to be an interesting trend to watch in the UK, which might or might not become a bigger issue outside of the UK. So I think Brexit is going to be 
affecting quite a lot of the ways in which the European Union is going to label organized crime in the next years. Because now it's like we push the border, we change the borders of the EU with Brexit happening. And that's going to change the way we, we see. Now, we, even just geographically, right? We don't have the Atlantic anymore unless it's in Portugal. So the whole other part of the Atlantic, it's kind of another, another thing. So that's definitely going to change uh, anything that has to do with, um, for example, the amount of uh, counterfeit cigarettes. The UK is going to, has always been a hub for uh, cigarettes throughout, uh, counterfeit cigarettes throughout Europe. It's going to become even more of that uh, because of the huge duties that are going to be paid. So black market is going to increase. That's going to affect Europe. So a lot of this, um, especially within illicit trade, a lot will depend on Brexit in the next years. You're listening to Conversing Crime, a series created by the Security Decision. Stay tuned for the next episode.